Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. I am free, I belong to no other person, but I make myself a slave to everyone. I do this to help save as many as I can. To the Jews I became like a Jew so that I could help save Jews. I myself am not ruled by the law, but to those who are ruled by the law I became like someone who is ruled by the law. I did this to help save those who are ruled by the law. To those who are without the law, I became like someone who is without the law. I did this to help save those who are without the law. But really I am not without God's law. I am ruled by the law of Christ. To those who are weak, I became weak so that I could help save them. I have become all things to all people. I did this so that I could help save people in any way possible. I do all this to make the good news known. I do it so that I can share in the blessings of the good news. You know that in a race all the runners run, but only one runner gets the prize. So run like that. Run to win. All who compete in the games use strict training. They do this so that they can win a prize, one that doesn't last. But our prize is one that will last forever. So I run like someone who has a goal. I fight like a boxer who is hitting something, not just the air. It is my own body I fight to make it do what I want. I do this so that I won't miss getting the prize myself after telling others about it. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, as we think about being all things to all men, we pray that you would help us to uh, work this through uh, as we look at your word now. We pray that uh, you would uh, challenge us and encourage us and strengthen our faith, but above all, send us out to be your witnesses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To be able to communicate to others, we have to connect with them. And we do this by looking listening and connecting things in a way that they'll understand. If you think of China, say, 100 to 150 years ago, and you consider what we need to do to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, it might feel like it's completely different. But there are actually themes, and that's what we're looking at today. What are the themes in crossing the cultural divide that come out of taking the gospel to China? The first one is this. We all cross a cultural divide. Crossing the cultural divide and trying to connect with an entirely new people group was especially pronounced when missionaries began taking the gospel to China. The first missionaries to China actually came in quite early in church history, sometime in the 7th century. They came via the Silk Road, an inland network of roads that connected the east with the west, right across the Eurasian continent. The next record we have of the mission to China comes in the 16th century, as Matteo Ricci and the Jesuits came to China via the sea. 300 years later, Hudson Taylor arrived in Shanghai and began the China Inland Mission. China, for most of its Christian history, has been a representation of the ends of the earth. 
The journey to get to China via land and sea was long, hard and very dangerous. Culturally, socially and politically, it was worlds from what they knew. And so as they faithfully followed the command of Jesus, they found themselves confronted with a huge cultural divide. There was language, there were clothes, there was religion, there were nuances of culture. They had to learn all of those things. In the West, we tend to think that because we know the language, we know the culture, and therefore we can easily speak into a culture. But crossing the cultural divide to take the message to the ends of the earth is something we will all face. It isn't something that will only confront us when we decide to jump on a canoe and head down the de- to the depths of the Amazon jungle or head to inland China. If we're going to share the good news of Jesus anywhere and with anyone, we too face the challenge of crossing the cultural divide. We need to ask similar questions to those asked by Hudson Taylor and Matteo Ricci. What's the history? What are people's desires? What are their fears? It's intriguing when you think about the Apostle Paul as a missionary. In the book of Acts, we see him taking the good news of Jesus throughout the then known world. He knew the language and he knew the culture. But he didn't always present the message of Jesus in exactly the same way. If you look, for example, at Acts chapter 13, he's in a place called Pisidian Antioch. And there he's speaking to either Jews or Gentile believers. And when he's speaking to Jews and Gentile believers, this is what he says. People of Israel and all you others who worship the true God. This is from Acts chapter 13, verses 16 to 20. People of Israel and all you others who worship the true God, please listen to me. The God of Israel chose our ancestors, and during the time our people lived in Egypt as foreigners, he made them great. Then he brought them out of that country with great power, and he was patient with them for 40 years in the desert. God destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan and gave their land to his people. All this happened in about 450 years. Paul goes on in that vein. He links the history of the people of Israel, God's people, to the person of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking that Paul would always use that style, but in fact he doesn't. When he gets to Athens, for example, he isn't talking to people with any kind of Jewish background. He's in a place called the Areopagus, and when he speaks to this group of people, He starts in a very different way, Acts 17, 22 and 23. Paul says, Men of Athens, everything I see here tells me you are very religious. I was going through your city and I saw the things you worship. I found an altar that had these words written on it, to an unknown God. You worship a God that you don't know. This is the God I want to tell you about. Paul goes on to quote their poets and their thinkers. He doesn't actually mention the name of Jesus. He uses a completely different style in communicating to that culture. And we need to ask the same questions as we seek to share the gospel. What's the culture? What are people's dreams? How and where do we connect with each other? 
The second thing that we need to learn from the mission to China is that we need to go to them. When the gospel went to China, it was taken to the people, especially by Hudson Taylor. Darrell Island talks about taking the gospel to people, and I quote, Protestant missions in China had largely found themselves gathering in Western-controlled parts of China, or at least where there was a lot of Western influence. And they would begin to recreate little Western enclaves and invite people into those, to the churches that were based there. And it was very much sort of, you come to us. Hudson Taylor breaks this mould and flips, flips it on its head and says, no, the gospel is going to you. So Hudson Taylor called his mission the China Inland Mission. That's because he wanted to take the message of the gospel to where the bulk of the people were, to the 18 provinces. And the only way to do that was to get out of the safe treaty ports and go to inland China. Hudson Taylor's success in China was because he went into China. You know, we need to consider that thought again today. With the COVID-19 pandemic, we're actually much more interested in the word quarantine and what it means than we might have been beforehand. Did you know that for a long time, quarantine was just a normal part of travel? It actually started back in the 14th century, especially with ships coming out of the city of Venice. People were concerned about getting plagues and diseases, so travellers would be quarantined for 40 days. Did you know that the word quarantine is actually the Italian word for 40 days? That's where the word comes from. At North Sydney, in Sydney, there's a quarantine station. So from the 1830s right up to the mid-1900s, when people came into Australia from overseas and there was any suspicion of them bringing in disease, they were quarantined away from the community. Of course, that's what we're seeing again today, isn't it? But the funny thing is that as a church, we actually do the opposite. The church can so easily become a quarantine for people away from the community in order to stop the infection of the community getting into the church. It's almost as though we quarantine ourselves away from everybody. And so, in a way, we're asking people to leave where you are, come and join us in quarantine, so we can tell you about Jesus. What we need to do, as Hudson Taylor did, is to get beyond the safety of our quarantine station and go to where the people are. One of the challenges, of course, in doing that is that you need to, thirdly, discern what you can embrace and discern what you need to stand against. What is it okay to do and be a part of? And what do you need to stand against? Of course, that was true in the early church. A couple of weeks ago, we heard Craig Keener talking about how Jesus' followers were asked to offer incense in worship of the emperor. And when they wouldn't do that, they were killed. It was something that they stood against. There was a lot of discussion in the early church about things like food that had been sacrificed to idols. There was idol worship and the people would burn meat on the altar. But any meat that wasn't used up would then be sold in the markets the next day. 
So Christians were at odds about whether you should or shouldn't buy and eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Well, the same sort of thing happened in China. When Matteo Ricci and Hudson Taylor went to China, they each faced identical issues. They started to dress the way the Chinese did. They plaited their hair the way the Chinese did. They became involved in the culture. But there were things that they stood against. One of the major issues was ancestor worship. The sweeping of graves. Was was that just honouring the generations of the past? Or was it worship that Christians should stand against? The Roman Catholic Church in China has actually changed its mind on this issue several times over the centuries. So you have to decide what you're going to embrace and what you're going to stand against. Back in the 1950s, of course, Christian churches in Australia were often known for what they didn't do. You know, things like going to movies and wearing makeup, drinking alcohol and dancing. These were the things that Christians tended to stand against. But we need to ask ourselves, what can we embrace to take the gospel to people in our community? The Apostle Paul was faced with this question. He talks about what he would do to take the message of Jesus to as many people as possible. So in his first letter to the church at Corinth, he writes this, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, I am free. I belong to no other person, but I make myself a slave to everyone. I do this to help save as many people as I can. And verse 22, to those who were weak, I became weak, so that I could help save them. I have become all things to all people. I did this so that I could save people in any way possible. Now, Paul's not saying that he's changing the gospel message. The gospel message doesn't change and can't be changed. But the way in which we present it does change. What is it that we can embrace? And what do we need to stand against? The fourth thing, the fourth theme that we need to notice from taking the gospel to China is that we need to get ready, we need to be prepared. Hudson Taylor prepared himself to go to China for many years before he actually went. His great-great-grandson, James Hudson Taylor IV, talks about Hudson Taylor's preparation, and I quote, So he did away with his, you know, his feathered pillow. He did away with his, you know, a nice mattress on his bed. He exercised. So there was a physical awareness as well. He tried to teach himself Chinese by copying out the Gospel of Luke in Chinese, and he learned 400 to 500 Chinese characters along the way. So there were a number of things, he says, that Hudson Taylor saw as critical. Certainly the whole aspect of faith and dependence upon God emerged out of his experiences during those years in medical school. The awareness that God was faithful and God heard prayer and answered prayer. And so it was with that kind of assurance of God's presence that he then went to China to serve. End quote. What Jamie talked about wasn't Hudson Taylor's only physical preparation. There was also a trust preparation, a faith preparation that Hudson had to make. 
There's a very interesting story from when Hudson Taylor was preparing to go to China. At the time when he was training to be a doctor, he worked for another doctor in Hull. Even though he only got paid once every three months, can you imagine that, being paid only once every three months? He decided that he would never remind the doctor for whom he worked that he was owed his pay. He would simply trust God. Apparently, the doctor forgot on a fairly regular basis. On Sundays, Hudson Taylor would go to work in churches, and these churches were often in poor areas of Hull. On one particular Sunday, the doctor had forgotten to pay Hudson. He only had a half-sovereign silver coin in his pocket. He basically had no food left. He owed rent to his landlady. But he wanted to trust God. So at the end of the day, at about 10 o'clock at night, he's about to go home after ministering all day when a man comes to him and asks him to come to his home to pray for his wife who's unwell. So Hudson Taylor goes. He's taken into the slums of Hull. He goes into this room and hears this poor, desperate woman. She's incredibly unwell. She only just had a baby in the last two days. And there are four or five other children in the room. It's a desperate place. Basically, they need support. And Hudson Taylor has only this half-sovereign coin in his pocket. The man asks Hudson to pray. And as Hudson's about to pray, he felt God say to him in his spirit, You hypocrite! How dare you pray for these people with that half-sovereign coin in your pocket? So Hudson Taylor decided to give it up. He reached into his pocket and handed over his last bit of money. He actually says that he went home that night with his pocket and his heart lighter. It was an act of trust and faith. So as Hudson Taylor did, we need to prepare ourselves in our language, in our training, in knowing our culture. But let's prepare our hearts as well. The fifth theme, be willing to walk away from what everyone else thinks matters. C.T. Studd spent his early years in India as the son of a wealthy English businessman. His family returned to England for the children's education at the prestigious Eton College. Then C.T. Studd went on to Cambridge. <clears throat> During his teenage years, he became an outstanding cricketer, one of the most promising young players they'd ever seen and destined to be one of the all-time best. But in 1884, at just 23 years old, C.T. Studd gave it all up right at the very peak of his career. He became part of the Cambridge Seven, people who left England and went to China to join Hudson Taylor's China Inland Mission. What an unbelievable sacrifice to make, to walk away from everything that he and his family had built towards. While C.T. Studd's story stands out, he wasn't the only one who, as part of this mission to China, gave up fame, fortune and status for the sake of the gospel in order to go to the ends of the earth. Ordinary people were part of the extraordinary mission. 
We might know the names of Hudson Taylor and C.T. Studd and be fooled into thinking that the mission to China was all done by exceptional, well-educated men. But that just wasn't the case. Hudson Taylor was a big proponent of lay leaders and of women missionaries. Because he understood the Chinese culture, he knew that Chinese women weren't going to hear the gospel from trained male clergy. The only way to really reach these Chinese people was to mobilise women to take the gospel into the homes of Chinese women and their families. And it wasn't just a matter of sending the wives of missionaries into the homes. Single women who were called in their own right were also part of the China Inland Mission. They were entrusted with the extraordinary job of sharing the gospel and discipling others. Theme number six. Talk about Jesus and the gospel as you go. Over the last few weeks, we've referred a couple of times to that section of Matthew chapter 28 known as the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, the command isn't actually to teach and preach the gospel. So often people take it that way. But the command in the Great Commission is to go. It's saying, as you go, as you go through life, teach the gospel, preach the gospel, share Jesus. The most remarkable thing about the church in China today is that they are going and they are preaching the gospel. Daryl Island tells a wonderful story about what people in China are doing to prepare and to share the gospel as they go. I quote, I loved in one of the places where I've been meeting a group of young people who were training to be missionaries. And during the daytime, they were learning how to cut hair. So they were getting a degree in haircutting as barbers. But then in the evening at school, they would gather together and they would do Bible study. They were studying mission theory and evangelism and then also a foreign language. In this case, they were studying Urdu together. And at graduation, they were handed a diploma that said, you are now certified in China to cut hair. And they were given a pair of scissors. But then they were also given a sort of silent charge that said, and now go in the name of Jesus Christ with these scissors to the ends of the earth. And the idea, he says, was wherever you go, you can always find someone who needs a haircut. And that can buy enough rice for you to walk to the next town and then to the next town, and then to the next town, until you reach somewhere like Pakistan, where you can be a missionary for Jesus, cutting hair and being a missionary for Jesus. End quote. Isn't that just a great story? Well, the last theme that we want to take out of crossing the divide is to remain faithful. Jamie Taylor, again, talks about the end of Hudson Taylor's life. I quote, It's interesting because the last time Hudson travelled through China was in 1905. He died on the 3rd of June, 1905. And his desire on that last trip to China was to visit two provinces, the province of Henan and the province of Hunan which are in the central part of China. 
And the reason why he wanted to go to those two provinces was because those were the last provinces to open their door to missions. The day that Hudson saw missionaries in those two provinces would be the day that the Lord took him, that his mission on earth was complete, that the gospel had gone into these 18 unoccupied provinces. And through the efforts of CIM missionaries, the church had been established in these 18 provinces. End quote. Isn't that just a fabulous picture? To be able to go back to China all those years later and to be able to say, my work here is done, it's completed. It's like the Apostle Paul who wrote to his friend Timothy in his second letter to Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, my life is being given as an offering for God. The time has come for me to leave this life here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have served the Lord faithfully. Wouldn't it be great if each of us could say, I too have fought the good fight. I too have finished the race. I too have done what God has called me to do. It was true of Hudson Taylor. It was true of the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was true of each of us as well? The gospel going to the ends of the earth was no accident. It wasn't some cultural phenomenon. The church didn't ride on the back of colonialism, as some people have suggested. It took focused effort. It took remarkable courage. There was careful thought and planning and undaunted commitment, personal sacrifice and deep faith. All of that empowered by the Holy Spirit. Friends, do you realise that we are the recipients of this heritage? In the episode of Jesus the Game Changer Season 2 that looks at Korea and Japan, Carl Fays interviewed Dr Billy Kim. Dr Kim reflected upon the fact that 135 years ago, Presbyterian and Methodist missionaries came to Korea to bring the message of Jesus. And Dr Kim's reflection was this. He said, now it's our time. Now it's our turn. Friends, it's our turn. It's our opportunity to share the message of Jesus, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We all hold something. It might not be scissors, but we all have skills, passions, knowledge, connections, talents. Like those Chinese hairdressers, we're being told, now go in the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. How will you respond to that challenge? Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you led men like uh, Hudson Taylor and Matteo Ricci and uh, C.T. Studd and many others to establish the work of gospel ministry in China. Thank you for the work of the China Inland Mission. Thank you for the many, many people who came under the influence of the gospel through that mission in the time of Hudson Taylor and indeed since then. Lord God, we thank you for the church in China, the church that you've built, the church that is growing strong despite the oppression that it's facing even today. And thank you for the things that we can learn, the themes that we've looked at this morning that arise from, uh, uh, from that mission to China. 
Help us, Lord, to consider these things, consider these themes and to put them into practice, not only in our uh, uh, desire perhaps to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but especially in our desire to uh, bring the gospel to people in our own community, in our own family, in our own neighbourhoods. Lord, help us to remember that we need to be able to connect to them, to find those points of connection and help us especially to be able to uh, come alongside them, not to hide ourselves away in the quarantine church station or the church quarantine station, but to be willing to go out there and tell others about you. Lord, build your church and may it be that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth uh, and have us as part of that exercise. Thank you for your call on our lives. We, th we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.